Welcome to Tribes Podcast. Hey, we just want to say thank you for making this message a part of your week. Our prayer is that these messages will inspire you to make the name of Jesus famous in your life and to the uttermost bounds of the earth. If you're ever in Jackson Hole, we'd love for you to visit our tribe fam in person. To learn more about us, you can find us online or at Facebook by searching tribejh.com. If you remember, last week we talked about this this idea of danger ahead. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, we see three dangers that the Holy Spirit wants to warn us about. We haven't found ourselves in the midst of these dangers. Hopefully you haven't found yourself in the midst of these dangers. But the Holy Spirit in his goodness is warning us of dangers that await us down the road. And so if he tells us about these dangers ahead of time, then we can avoid them before we ever get there. And that's really the the heart behind this message. I don't want you to hear, especially today, and try to put my soft, fuzzy gloves on as I grab you around the throat uh, so that... (laughs) That was a joke. So that uh, you, you can hear the stern warnings from the Lord, but apply them to your life before you ever find yourself in, in, in that danger. So we're, this, is a, this is a message of warning of dangers to come. You're not there yet, but let's avoid these. Let's recognize these dangers that lie on the road ahead of us, let's recognize them, that they're out there, so that if we ever come up close to them, we can get around them and avoid them. Does that make sense? That's really the heart behind these messages and what I, what I want to talk about. So by, by way of review, in Revelation chapter 3, you can turn there, We're looking at the church in Laodicea. And if you remember last week, I showed you a Google map of where the church of Laodicea is. So we can can cut to that. You see that little red dot there? That is the church of Laodicea. You can see it right there on your screen. And then there's another picture that I want to put up on your screen that is an image of the what's left of the church. Well, the city of Laodicea. Right now, it kind of looks like maybe a set from The Chosen that you would see like in the, with the backdrop of Salt Lake City in the background. But that's all that's left of the city of Laodicea. Now, did they listen to dangers ahead? Well, in the modern city that is right outside the, the ruins of Laodicea, there's no real vibrant expression of the church of Jesus in that city. Jesus knocked, but perhaps nobody answered the door. We talked about how there are three dangers. Last week, we got into the first danger, the danger of indifference. And Jesus used the illustration that you are like lukewarm water that he was going to vomit or spit out of his mouth. And when you look at the church of Laodicea compared to the other six churches, I think last week I might have said five churches and I didn't correct myself in real time. But there are seven letters 
We're looking at one of the letters, so there are six other churches that Jesus addresses. And when you look at those churches, they all faced an amount of opposition, and they had an amount of victory. But notice what is said about the church in Laodicea. There's no mention of of real, any significant opposition, but at the same time, there's also no mention of real victory. They were just kind of lukewarm. They weren't really pressing in and, and, and facing opposition, but they weren't really like, like making huge strides or gaining any big victories. So we talked about last week the first danger of indifference and how important it is to, to watch out for the danger of lukewarm indifference. And thankfully, Jesus gives us the remedy for indifference. He says this, So I counsel you, buy gold that has been refined in fire. Well, how do we purchase gold that has been refined in fire? Man, we've been talking about this for months now, actually. When we surrender to God in tribulation, we don't capitulate and just roll roll over onto our backs and just and just take it like we don't we don't surrender to to opposition. We surrender to God in the midst of tribulation. When we do that, and He gives us leadership and we obey His leadership, that is buying gold that has been refined in fire. Notice what it says in in verse 18 of chapter 3. It says, then you'll be rich and not lukewarm. So think about it. We could be hot, not lukewarm, but hot. And when we're buying that gold, we'll be rich. So we'll be hot and rich. Who doesn't want that? Hot and rich. Hot and rich. No? No? Not to, okay, all right, we'll just move on. In my, in my mind, in my mind, that, that joke was like really funny. What, like David Hasselhoff? That's right, hot and rich, like David Hasselhoff. Listen to this first. <laughs> I know, I own, David Hasselhoff is like my go-to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, second, second, listen to this verse. You don't need to, to you write it. You don't need to turn there, but you can write it down. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine. Why do I crack myself up so bad? Always. Always. <laughs> second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine. You, <laughs> you know the generous grace of our, Brian, pull it together. Come on. Nobody else is laughing in, in here. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. And if you're like, oh no, is Pastor Brian talking about some sort of prosperity gospel? Oh no, and like, like your little undies are like, like shrinking and tightening up. Oh no, just calm down, relax. Just look at what the look at what God's word says. Just let His word speak to you. He can make you rich. All right, come on, let's get into today. Today we're going to talk about the second of three dangers. And if you're taking notes this morning, you can write the title of this morning's message, 
the danger of independence. So let's go back to Revelation chapter 3, and I want to read to you verses 14 through 22 so that we can get a, uh, a full understanding of the, the entire scope of what John the Revelator is saying to the message of church in Laodicea. I'll start reading in verse 14. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, faithful and true witness. What he's about to tell us, he's faithful. God will always, Jesus will always tell us the truth. He's faithful and he's true. What he has to say, his assessment, his observation, they are unbiased, they are unprejudiced, they are true. He's got no skin in the game. He's got no dog in the fight. He's not uh, persuaded in any way. He will only always ever speak the truth to us. He's the beginning of God's new creation. I know all of the things that you do. Last week I mentioned this just as a little monkey wrench to throw into your machinery. We are saved by grace, but we will be rewarded, judged, according to our works. Let's move on. I know all the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I have everything that I want. I don't need a thing. But you don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Okay. So I advise you to buy gold for me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments for me so that you will not be ashamed of your nakedness, an ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone that I love. Oh, what, what great encouragement Jesus is. He just, he just, hammers us with the truth, but then he says, listen, I'm saying these things and I have, I have the remedy for you. Why? Because I love you. And he's not just saying that, hey, you know I love you, right? He's not just saying that. He demonstrated his love for us on the cross. He has stolen our, our hearts. He has wiped away our shame and he has broken, was it every chain? Broke away the chains. Oh, you've ravished our hearts. You've stolen our hearts. Yes, you have. I correct and discipline everyone that I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and share a meal together with them as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Anyone with ears to hear. Interesting, isn't it, that, that this message will go forth as a warning of dangers to come. But not everyone will hear and heed the message. 
Senior Pastor Jesus, let us be a church. Let our tribe fam be people that have ears to hear. Must listen to the Spirit and understand. So there is, so there is knowledge. There's the application of knowledge, which becomes wisdom. Lord, give our tribe fam and tribe fam and every single person that is watching this live stream. Lord, give us ears to hear and give us the ability to apply that knowledge that we're hearing, which translates to to wisdom. Lord, give us wisdom to understand what he is saying to your church. Okay, so here's what I want to do. Today, I want to focus on just verse 17. Today, we're going to be looking at the second danger that is ahead, and I'm calling it the danger of independence. Let's zoom in on just verse 17. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. But you don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And I love what the Amplified says. It says, without hope, and in great need. Look at that very first sentence, that very first part of verse 17. I have everything I want. So this is, so this is man's position. This is our position. Hey, I have everything that I want. I, I, I don't need a thing. When I, hear, when I hear that phrase, it makes me think of uh, have you ever been to to like a like not like a baby like a toddler not a kid but kind of like that that little like that big baby sort of stage and you give a, a baby or a toddler I guess that's what you call them I, I can't remember I raised two of them but it was so long ago you give them a present and they 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 tear off the wrapping paper and then, then there's the box, and they're like, whoa, and they, they love the box, but you got to help them undo the box, and you, the gift is in the box, you know, the toy or whatever it is, and you're like, here it is, and you turn around, and they're just happy as can be with the cardboard box. You're like, what? you're missing it. Here's the present. Like, here's the, here's the actual good thing, but they're so psyched on the box. They're wearing it as a space helmet. They're sitting inside of it like a race car. And they've kind of missed the, the, the whole point. I have everything I want. Really? And you say, I have everything I want. I, I don't need a thing. Really, you're missing out on the real gift here. And it's just like playing with the cardboard box. That's that, that's that that attitude or that mindset or that spirit or what I'm calling the danger of independence. Let's keep going in this. It says, but you don't realize, there's that word again, realize. Oh, I think uh, I, think I feel a, a series of messages beginning to bubble up in my heart about people that realized and people that didn't realize. That makes all of the difference. They, there are groups of people, they all experience, they have a common experience, but there are those with ears to hear and eyes to see that connect the dots and they realize. That seems to be a, a, a small percentage of people. And then there are most people who just didn't even realize. 
So which will you be? Will you be somebody that realizes what the Spirit wants to speak to you today? Or will you not have ears to hear and eyes to see and you don't realize? So it says, Jesus says this, but you don't realize, and I love what the Passion Translation says, you're clueless. And then he gives one, two, three, four, five words to describe our condition. Now, is Jesus being harsh? No, 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 no. Remember what he said about himself earlier. He said that he is faithful, that he will always tell us like it is, and that he's true. He's not just giving us his opinion. We haven't spurned him and he's being vindictive. He's not name-calling. He is accurately describing our condition. Now, I don't want to dwell on, on each of these, but we need to touch on each one of them so that we can have an accurate understanding of the condition of our heart. Because until we know that we are sick, the remedy has no effect, right? Hey, you need to take, you need to take this medicine. Why do I need to take the medicine if I don't realize that I'm sick? So here's the condition that Jesus tells us about. He first starts by saying wretched. Whoa. Let's look at Blue Letter Bible. What's the Blue Letter Bible definition? Not the Blue Letter Bible, but we go to Blue Letter Bible so that we can see the Greek, right? And I've taught you about this, blueletterbible.org. You can look up any Bible verse. You can click on any word. And if it's in the New Testament, it will be in the Greek. It's in the Old Testament. It will be in Hebrew. And you can look up the, the root definitions. It really helps to see the, the vibrancy of the language that's being communicated. That word wretched is a great word to look up in the Greek. It's a compound word. So you take two individual words and put them together to come up with this idea and concept of wretched. But let's separate them and look at each one of these words in the Greek to help us get a better total understanding. That the first word of the word wretched is that of a scale. Not a dragon scale, but a balance and measure scale. Does that make sense? Then the second word of that compound word is a trial or experience. So here's the idea. When you put these two individual words together to make up that compound word that we get the English word wretched from, here's the idea and the concept behind it. It means to be weighed down with a trial or an experience. To be weighed down, to be burdened, to be overcome like, like with, with heavy weight to be weighed down with the trial or experience. And it's this idea of to be bogged down. I can remember years ago, I used to have this, uh, basically like a Swiss army Jeep, 1970s military surplus Jeep called a Pinsgauer. And the, the church that we used to be a part of down in a subdivision here in Jackson Hole called uh, 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 Rafter J., 
they were at the church I was a part of, they were like digging these huge pits to fill them uh, as, as ponds. But I had this pin scour and the, the, the excavator had dug this hole and so it was basically a huge mud bog and I thought it would be a really fun thing to do to go drive my pin scour like on the church property like through these ponds and, and mud bogs and well sure enough I got myself stuck. I was way down in the mud and could not get myself out. I was wretched. That's this idea of the first word. Then the next word that Jesus uses is the word miserable. Now, we have, we, have an, we have an idea of what that word means in English, but when you look at that word in the Greek, it, that, that word comes with it, the concept of no end in sight and no escape. When I drove my Pinsgauer down into the mud, I was having a lot of fun splashing through the puddles and going through the mud, but I found one end of the, the, the excavated, basically hole in the ground that was going to be a pond that was deep and the mud was fresh and it was sticky and I was wretched. I was weighed down, I was bogged down, and I was miserable. There was no escape. Once I got this Pinsgauer stuck, I was wretched and I was miserable. The next word that Jesus uses is poor. And it comes with this idea of helpless, powerless, destitute. So on one hand, here's what we think of ourselves. We think of ourselves as, I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. That's what we think of ourselves. But Jesus he has a completely different assessment of our lives. And it couldn't be different, more different than what we think. We've fooled ourselves when we bop along through this life. Yeah, you know, I have some, have some ups and some downs, some little troubles here and there. But we essentially think of ourselves as, I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. By contrast, here's what Jesus says. Hey, look, man, here's the accurate assessment of your life. Wretched miserable, poor, and then he uses this word, blind. In the Greek, that word blind means mentally unable to perceive a thing. It is right in front of us, yet we can't see it. It may be obvious to others, but to ourselves, we can't see it. Remember when your friend was was like had that boyfriend or girlfriend in junior high that was just like a total train wreck but they couldn't see it because they were sparkle blind is what i call it back in my youth pastor days like we could all see that my buddy's girlfriend was like controlling and manipulative and like emotional and rare but he just couldn't see it hey do you want to go hang out and go skateboarding with us no i gotta spend time with daphne dude she <laughs> Dude, she's taking up all of your time and she's like always like like being like all emotional and, and he couldn't see it until he broke up with her. Then he's like, oh yeah, I can't see it. Like you guys were right. They were sparkle blind. We fooled ourselves thinking, I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. But Jesus says, hey man, here's the ac accurate assessment of your life. You are blind, mentally unable to perceive a thing. And then the, the Greek definition of that word blind goes on to say physically darkened as if by smoke or wrapped in a mist. 
that we can't see it. And then here's what's so amazing about that Greek definition. Oh, you guys look it up. It gives a source of that mist or that smoke. Pride. This idea of pride, like a weed, grows up in the garden of our heart and it chokes out and blinds us to the actual, accurate condition of our life. We get wrapped up in pride and it's that pride that tells us, oh, you got everything you want, you don't need a thing. But Jesus tells us that you're actually blind and then he uses one more phrase that you are naked interestingly enough when you look up this word in the greek it is where we get the english word gymnasium from now wait how does naked get attached to gymnasium well if you're familiar with your olympic history the roots of the olympic games whenever athletes would go into competition whether they were running or or throwing a javelin or jumping over high things or wrestling with each other the olympic games were always done in the nude imagine a stadium full of people and out comes the competitors how you doing how you doing runners take your mark and you're in your birthday suit You'll never be able to think of going to the gym quite the same because that word gym comes from the word gymnasium and gymnasium basically means working out in your birthday suit. You are naked. And here's the idea behind it. Unclad and bare so that nothing is hidden. Now this message hits a little bit different when you think about the context in which Jesus says this, remember the church of Laodicea it was a very wealthy city. But at the same time, there was a lot of poverty in the city. Panhandlers, freeloaders, beggars, people that were, that were homeless sitting on the streets trying to get a handout from one of the wealthy citizens of Laodicea. So think about being a person in the church at Laodicea. No real uh, opposition, no real victory. They're, it's a very wealthy, affluent city. They're used to, to having money, having influence, and they see people on the street as they walk by, people that are homeless, people that are wretched, and, and they probably thought to themselves, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like one of those people. And here Jesus is saying, bro, you have no idea how wretched and homeless, you are a whole lot more like these people then you are like you think of yourself as being affluent. I don't, I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. But thankfully, once again, Jesus gives us the remedy to our condition. He doesn't just hammer us and say, dude, you're awful. But he says, hey, you're awful, but I got some good news for you. So let's look at the, the remedy that Jesus gives us. This is found in verse 18. So, We've been in verse 17, so let's go to the first part of verse 18. He says this, So, I advise you also, buy white garments. Here's the solution. Buy white garments from me so that you will not be ashamed of your nakedness. Now, I can understand how in the natural, if a person is naked, 
the solution to their nakedness is to put some clothes on. And let's not, let's not get off into the weeds and, and uh, continue to perpetuate this weird fringe, uh, really found more in history, that, that our bodies uh, are, are shameful. Our bodies in them uh, of themselves, the earth suit that we've been given, regardless of the shape or size uh, earth suit that you have right now, it is not anything to be ashamed of. God gave you that body, right? So, so we're not ashamed of our bodies. We're not ashamed of, of being naked. Now, we want to we wanna live our lives um, uh, in appropriateness. It's not appropriate for your earth suit to be hanging out in, in public. Culturally, that's just not acceptable. But our bodies are nothing to be ashamed of. It's what, it's what God gave us, right? So, so we're not ashamed of nakedness. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's talking about our attitude and the condition of our soul, that we are, are wretched, we're miserable, we're blind, we're poor, and we're naked. Jesus wants to give us the, the solution for the condition of our independence, our being disconnected from God. As we are independent from God, that's the same as being wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. But he has the solution for us. He says, therefore, I invite you, I counsel you, buy garments. So how is, by, well, what are these garments? Well, let's look, at, let's look at a verse here. You can write this down. Isaiah chapter one, verse 18. God says, come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as wool. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. When we buy garments or robes that represent the end result of some transformation that has taken place in our life and in our heart, he says, come now, let's settle this. Though you are one way, your sins are like scarlet, I will make you another way, white as wool. Though they are red like crimson, here is your previous state. There's something transformative that happens in a relationship with Jesus that results in, I will make them as white as wool. Okay, so how do I get these garments? If I've been living one way, maybe in one uh, area of my heart or my life, or maybe all of my life, how do, I, how do I encounter or experience a transformation so that I can live a different way. If I've been naked, how do I get that garment so that I can be clothed? I got good news and bad news for you. The good news is it's super simple. The bad news is you have to die. Two last verses. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus says this, To all, 
all who are victorious will be clothed in white. There's that robe, that white garment. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Let's jump ahead a little bit to Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. How do we get that white garment to clothe our nakedness and our wretchedness? It's the, the solution, the remedy for our condition. Remember, Jesus says, warning, there's danger ahead. Well, how do we avoid that danger? The second danger of independence? First of all, we got to realize our true condition. Second of all, we need to heed Jesus' counsel. Therefore, I counsel you, buy garments. How do we do that? Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest in the finished work of the cross a little while longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters and fellow servants of Jesus who were to be martyred had joined them. Do I mean a physical death? Partially, yeah. In Revelation chapter 6, we'll see that as persecution and calamity is unleashed on the earth in an unprecedented scale, as the what's known as the four horsemen of the apocalypse ride forth, that the first horse is the, the, the white horse where there's given a victor's crown, not a crown of gold, but look in the Greek, a victor's crown, a, a, a wrapped wreath, a, a woven wreath like um, winners in the Olympic Games would get. He rides forth with a bow. This is not Jesus, even though it's a white horse. This is not Jesus because Jesus doesn't use a bow. He uses a sword. So this is a picture of the Antichrist, a global leader riding forth. The next, the next horse that comes forth is violence and bloodshed. There's chaos. And then there's the collapse, resulting calamity that comes from that in the coming days. So as, the, as calamity is, is riding forth, the gospel rides forth. And the Bible says that there will be unprecedented move of God's spirit that people will be getting saved by the millions. But as more people get saved and, and satanic rage fills the earth, more and more Christians will die for their faith, being faithful there to their testimony. They'll be martyred. The Bible says that they are awarded this white robe. In a similar way, we can be awarded and clothe ourselves with garments of righteousness when we die die to the danger of independence. 
As Christians, let's not live our lives separate and independent on our own strength, our own energy, and our own effort. Let's die to independence and clothe ourselves in dependence on Jesus for every single aspect of our life. How is it that white robes are a remedy or a solution for avoiding the danger of independence? When we get that white robe, well, let me say it this way. You know how like when you go into the army, you go in in your civilian clothes and they sit you down in the barber's chair and everybody gets the same haircut and then from the barber's chair, you go into another room, you strip off all of your civilian clothes and then you're given a military uniform that you wear for the rest of the time that you're in the military. We lose our independence. We die to independence when we clothe ourselves with righteousness. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about conformity in the, in the uh, idea that, that, everybody, that you lose your individual personhood. But I'm talking about unity so that we're all clothed and we all look like our brothers and sisters who are all living their life in dependence on God. I got the white robe. You got the white robe. He has the white robe. She has the white robe. We die to independence when we come together in unity of dependence on Jesus Christ for every single aspect of our life. Holy Spirit, fill me. Live your life in me and through me. That's the remedy to be able to avoid the danger of independence that waits down the road for us. That if we don't realize, we can find ourselves in independence. Let's clothe ourselves in that white robe of total dependence on Jesus. Is what I'm saying making sense today, guys? Let's invite the, the Holy Spirit just to speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, we need you to give us an accurate assessment of every single aspect of our life. Maybe somebody here today listening to the podcast or watching the live stream realizes that they have not surrendered their life to Jesus and they need to get saved. Just cry out to him. Maybe there are others in your discipleship campus, you're gathered with several families or maybe with your family watching the live stream and you know that you're saved, but there are areas of your heart, pockets of resistance, where you still say, I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. I don't need Jesus coming into that area of my life. Maybe it's an area of woundedness. Maybe it's an area of, of bondage or addiction. Maybe it's an area of shame that you're trying to protect. You don't want anybody to know about it. Well, Jesus knows. And his accurate assessment is this. You're wretched. You're miserable. 
You're poor. You're blind and you're naked. You can't hide it from Him. You can't hide it from Him. So why don't you just surrender it to Him? Don't hold on to that thing. The Holy Spirit is bringing it up right now to your mind. Oh, don't hold on to it. Avoid the danger of indifference. Avoid the danger of independence. Oh, surrender to him. Just surrender. Let go of your grip. Remember, die. Just die. Just die. Let it go. You think, if I let go of this, I will die. Ah, Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to experience some death. But death always precedes resurrection and new life. 